Nicole Cole, and you are listening to episode 54 of the Cleverly Changing Podcast. In this episode, we'll speak with Pana, a mom who considers it her life's work to help families of children with disabilities get the support they need to function and thrive. She stands committed to her mission of amplifying the voices of people with disabilities. Listen to her personal journey and share this episode with a friend who would benefit from the conversation. Our goal with the Cleverly Changing podcast is to provide you with encouragement, insight about African history, and support as a parent and home educator. New episodes are uploaded bi-weekly, so please remember to subscribe and share. If you want to keep this podcast going, consider becoming a regular supporter through our Patreon page at a low monthly cost. Visit patreon.com slash cleverly changing. Today's African proverb is remove an old tree and the tribe weakens. It's now time for the word of the episode. Dun, Today's word of the episode is brought to you by Senegal and the Gambia. Balma. Balma. It means, excuse me, in Wolof. I have some exciting news. During the month of April, I will be releasing my second book, The Ultimate Sickle Cell Activity Book. If you want to learn more about sickle cell disease, which is the most common disorder in the world, then you should sign up for my newsletter by going to cleverlychanging.com and putting in your name and email address so that I can contact you about updates. Thanks in advance. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Cleverly Changing Podcast. Today's episode is definitely going to be a treat. So grab a notepad so that you can take notes. I'm sure that there will be information that you find informative and also helpful on your journey. So without further ado, I am a mom of twins. I am Elle Cole, your host, and I've been homeschooling my kids for about seven years. And I started this podcast with my friend Miriam to really help support the homeschool community, but not just homeschoolers. Any parent who is raising children because we all are educating our children. So whether you homeschool them or you supplement their education, we are here for you. So today I have a wonderful guest that I had the privilege of meeting at one of Soka Mom's summits. And I have been wanting to have this guest on the Cleverly Changing podcast for, <laughs> for a long time. Wow, yeah. So we are finally making it happen. And I know that you will be blessed. So without further ado, I have Pana. 
Pana, can you tell everybody a little bit about you and your family? Yes, and thank you so much, Elle, for having me on your podcast today. I'm really honored to be here and finally be here, um, as you mentioned. So my name is Pana Poto, I'm a parent of two children. I'm married, I live in the Bronx in New York City. And my son is 13 years old. My daughter is four. Um, so, you know, it's been an interesting journey with the two of them because for the longest while it was just us and our son. And then our daughter came along and the whole, the whole family dynamic changed. But I really think that it changed for the better. So my son is on the autism spectrum. He was diagnosed at four years old. And um, it's been a journey because I went from not knowing anything about autism to be all up in the autism um, community. Um, I work at a disability nonprofit here in New York City where I provide technical assistance for families of children with disabilities, including autism. I'm a manager for parent and family engagement on our early childhood team. I am also the co-founder of a nonprofit called the Bronx Parents Autism Support Circle. It was started by me and two other moms who also have children with autism. And we've been around since 2013. So we've been having our support group meetings and been providing support for families of children with autism right here in the Bronx. And I'm also a content creator at my blog, Sailing Autistic Seas, which I started a couple of months after my son was diagnosed with autism. Because back then I didn't know anyone else who had a child on the spectrum. And so I decided to build my own village <laughs> and I started the blog and everything else just kind of flowed from there. So I'm really I think that's something here. that we have in common. I started my blog because I needed a community. Yes. And it sounds like that's exactly why you started yours. Yes. And so, so many things blossom from mm -hmm. the need of, um, a lot of times when we want a community ourselves, we tend to create a space for other people to, mm -hmm. um, to learn information and also connect. And so I find that blogging often is a segue to other things. Yes. Mm -hmm. It really is. It really is. I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> Yes, it has been just such an honor to see you um, on your different pages sharing about what autism looks like. And I know that right. there are so many families who are interested in learning, you know, that everything is going to be all right. I think that's really at the heart of what families are trying to find out. You know, sometimes when they get the aut um, autistic diagnosis, it's kind of like, um, they don't know. They're like, well, what's next? And right. there can be a lot of fears around that. Can you mm -hmm. kind of share how, how the, um, the diagnosis was provided to you um, and kind yeah. of what some of those early signs were? Yeah, so for us, it all started with speech. So speech is one of those things that parents tend to notice. Like, it's easy to tell, is my child speaking or not, right? So when my son was two years old, um, I remember I went to his pediatrician. He had a visit at his pediatrician, and she kept asking us, does he have any words? It, you know, she was asking questions about his development. Is he saying anything? And all my answers were always no. So he did a lot of babbling back then, but he wasn't speaking. Like he wasn't, I wasn't able to get words out of him. And so the pediatrician told us to make a referral for him to early intervention. So we referred him to early intervention. 
you know, I remember being at a meeting and this, the, I, I remember being told he may be the A word, right? But nobody used the word autism. And I didn't really know where to go from there. My only, the only time I had ever heard of the quote unquote A word was I was watching Larry King and this is like way back, right? It was just like, um, what, 2009, I would say. I was watching Larry King and he had Jenny McCarthy on. And I know she's a controversial, she's a controversial person when it comes to, to, to the autism community. But back then she was talking about her son who was on the autism spectrum. And that was the only time I had heard about autism, but all through early intervention, nobody said we should get him evaluated to see if he's on the spectrum. He went through early intervention. He was getting services. He got speech therapy. He got special instruction. He transitioned to preschool. Then I noticed that they kept adding services. They said, oh, he needs occupational therapy. He needs physical therapy. But nobody mentioned anything about autism. So, you know, eventually we consented. He was able, he was getting his services in preschool. And then it came time for him to transition to kindergarten. And this was in 2011. So I remember my mom telling me I should have him seen by a developmental pediatrician so he can get a thorough evaluation. He got that thorough evaluation and that's when we got the autism diagnosis for him. So he was four at the time. So he had gone all he could have. And I always think if I only knew then what I know now, right? Because he could have been getting services at two or even earlier than two. Um, and, and then I'm learning about all these additional services that he could have gotten if he had the autism diagnosis earlier. Um, so we got the autism diagnosis. And I remember because I was so like, I didn't know much about autism. I was like, oh my God, he has autism. I remember I was crying, you know, I was upset. And then I had to kind of snap out of it because here I am crying and upset and he's playing, going about his life. And over, over the years, as I started to interact with other families and including individuals who are autistic, I came to the realization, this is not a death sentence. This is just who he is. This is his identity. And as his parent, it's up to me now to try to get him the supports and services that he needs to help him to be able to make progress. So I had to go, I had to get, like, realize it's not about me. It's about him. And, I, and it, it was up to me to be able to advocate for him and to try to amplify his voice and get him this and, and be able to get him the help that he needs. So that's how we came to the diagnosis. <laughs> and I've been going along ever since. And I also have a daughter who's four. And because, you know, like they say, hindsight is 2020. With her, I was watching her like a hawk. So she got her early intervention because she was also speech delayed. And now I can't get her to be quiet because <laughs> she's like, talk, talk, talk. Um, and so I had her evaluated. Poor thing. She had so many evaluations um, because I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing anything with her. And right now, the challenge I have with her is when she had her early intervention evaluation and eventually her evaluation to transition from preschool from um, early intervention to preschool, they saw some characteristics of autism because she gets very shy. She doesn't show people that she doesn't know what she knows. And so she was like barely making that cutoff for autism. So we just went ahead. Like if you look at her paperwork for preschool, they have on there that she's on the spectrum. But right now the challenge I'm going through with her is I need to confirm that she's on the spectrum before she transitions to kindergarten. So I'm in the process of having her reevaluated just to make sure if she is, then she is. But I want to make sure that her diagnosis, if she has one, is accurate. But she's also getting services as well. She's getting speech therapy and occupational therapy. 
So it's been a wow. journey. Wow. I know that you, you mentioned that you were in New York and yes. I know that, you know, every state here in America is very different, but I do know that in New York, they actually have more services yes. than many other places. And yes. so, um, to that extent, the services, was it, you know, you got that diagnosis. Was it hard to find out what services were available? Because they do have a lot compared to other places. Yeah, the thing with New York and specifically in the city is that we have a lot of services, like even compared to other parts of the state, right? So, but the thing is you have to know that the services exist. Like I have to know that there's such a thing called occupational therapy. I have to know there's such a thing called speech therapy and I have to be informed and empowered enough to be able to advocate for my child to get those services in, in their early childhood program. So when a child gets an evaluation, there are providers that will say, this child needs speech therapy, this child needs occupational therapy. And then as a parent, I have to consent for the child to be able to get evaluated and then they are able to get those services started in school. Um, it can really depend on the program. There might be some programs that may have a shortage of providers, but overall, most kids are able to get their services. And that's why I think it's important for parents to be able to connect with other parents and stay as informed because we can learn a lot from each other. Um, to stay as informed as possible so you know what to ask for and you know how to advocate for your child so that they can be able to get those services. And, you know, I also realized that in some communities, like, so I, I wasn't born in the U.S. And so I was born in London, but my family is from, the, is, is from Liberia, West Africa. And I also went to high school in Grenada. And so it wasn't until I came to the U.S. that I even knew anything about disabilities in general. I may have seen people who had physical disabilities, but the disability wasn't something that was openly discussed. There was a, there's a lot of stigma around it. And so in my family, I didn't even know anyone else in my family who had a disability. You know what I mean? Or, or any kind of developmental disability to say I could speak to them to be able to get some kind of insight on how I should proceed. But to come back to your question, yes, in New York City, we do have a lot of services available, but parents got to stay on top of it and got to stay plugged in to be able to connect. And sometimes because we're so densely populated, depending on the services, especially outside the school system, it can be a long wait sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but I tell parents, get your child on our wait list. Even if you have to wait, I waited a year and a half for my son to get speech therapy outside of school. But once he got it, he's, getting, he's been getting it ever since. Wow. Wow. That's great to hear. Yeah. So do you have any advice? Because I know there have been families who have reached out to me who mm -hmm. have a child with autism and they were overwhelmed with the diagnosis. Do you have any advice for the family that has just been um, their child has just been diagnosed and they're, you know, they may need a word of encouragement are just to know what, what do I do now? And I know you just talked about find out those services, but can you kind of give them some, a word of encouragement? Yeah, so when it comes to encouragement, I would say when you get that diagnosis, because sometimes you just get the diagnosis, it's, it's in a report, they just send you a report, it might be in the mail or email, there's nobody holding your hand or trying to explain to you what this diagnosis means. And because autism is a spectrum, it can look different for each child. So you may have seen somebody with autism on TV, or you may have a friend who has an autistic child, 
that doesn't mean that this is how autism is going to be in for your child. So that's something to realize that autism is a spectrum. And as I say in the autism community, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. So you shouldn't generalize everybody like they all know how to do this or they all can do that because your child may be different. There are some people on the spectrum who, you know, they're able to go to college, they're able to work. And then there are others where it impacts them in such a severe way that they may always need someone to support them. So what I would advise parents to do is learn all you can about autism. Read, try to get information, speak to other parents. Also seek support. If there's a parent support group in your area, definitely connect because it really helps to be able to speak and connect with other parents who are walking this journey along with you. It really makes a big difference because you realize that you're not alone because you may see your child behaving a certain way or your child is not able to speak or have a conversation. And then you speak to another parent and they're going through the same thing. Or maybe if that child is six years old and, and they're not potty trained yet. And you may be hearing from other families, well, how come that child isn't potty trained? Or how come that child is still in a stroller? And they don't understand that it may take your child a little bit longer to reach those milestones. But when you're around other parents who get it, it really makes a big difference. And also I would tell families, you know, every state has a parent center. So they can go to parentcenterhub.org, I think it's .org. And there's a, there's a tab where it would say, find your parent center. And they can connect with the parent center in their state to be able to connect with resources and supports in their community. Because the, the, the people at that parent center, they can provide you with the technical support to be able to get those services that are local to you. So. I love that you just mentioned, you know, the parent center hub, but also I love that you talked about connecting with other parents, because I think as a parent of a child with a chronic illness, connecting with other parents has been life-saving for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, that's not something that's medical. It's not something that, you know, people write in journals and talk right. about, but that peer-to-peer encouragement and relationship can sometimes be a missing link that mm-hmm. we need emotionally yeah. in order to cope. Yeah. And I think, in addition to connecting with other parents, I mean, there are parent workshops, there, is, there are resources and workshops and trainings out there that are geared towards parents that can teach them about the systems that they're gonna have to navigate. Because the systems can beat you down. Like if, you, if people aren't listening to you or they're not giving you the information that you need, you might feel like, oh, I don't know how I can do this, but you cannot give up. If your child is three or four, this is a lifetime journey that you're gonna have ahead of you of advocating. And you cannot give up so early because you still have a lifetime of, ed- of advocating to do for your child. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. So about a year ago, yeah. <laughs> the world turned upside down for yeah. all of us. Mm-hmm. And we entered what we now call the pandemic because yes. of the virus that's out there. And our whole, all of the systems that we know of completely change in the way that our children receive the care and the resources that they need. Can you kind of speak on how um, some of those changes, how it's been for your family and talk about the transition to remote learning or hybrid schooling, whatever you guys are doing for your kids? Yeah, so I remember it was actually around this time last year that we were getting 
notified March of last year that we're getting notified that the kids will not be returning to school, right? That schools are gonna be closed. Everybody was remote learning. Oof, it was a lot, right? Because when our kids went to school that Friday, we had no idea that that following Monday they weren't gonna be returning to school. So our kids have been remote since March of last year. They have been doing remote learning since March of last year. And it's been an adjustment, but we have really good partners. And when I say partners, I'm talking about their teachers and therapists, because I look at them as partners, because we couldn't do this without them and without their support. Um, and so, you know, this pandemic has really exposed a lot. I mean, just access to technology. We were able to get an iPad for my son through the Department of Education. I put in a request for it. Um, you know, because I couldn't have him, I have to work from home. I'm working from home full time. So he needed his own device to be able to do his remote learning. And so it was an adjustment for him as well. So I have a dry erase board and every night I write out their schedule, both kids of what they're going to be working on for the day with school. If they have any therapy, if there's anything else going on, I make sure I put it on there. Um, my daughter, because she's in preschool, her schedule is not as packed. Like his is a uh, pretty much a nine to two. And he has breaks in between. So one thing about his teacher, she's really good about giving them breaks. So it's not just nine to two straight. And then on Friday, she tries to do the academic work by noon. And then the rest of the day, she might do something a little more laid back. Like they may watch a movie or they may do some dance or some exercise or something like that. Just so, you know, they can get a break. Um, both kids, they transition really well to remote learning. My daughter actually blossomed. Uh, because she's very, she can be very shy when she's around people that she doesn't know, even in the school setting. So she started preschool at the, her early childhood program, September of, of 2019. So she was only in school for a couple of months and then it shut down. And so she was still getting used to being in a classroom environment. And then now she can't wait for her sessions. Like sometimes I have to mute her because she's ready to answer all the questions and not give the other kids a chance. <laughs> so it could be, you know, so this, I mean, but one thing I do have to acknowledge is I do speak to a lot of parents who are struggling during this time. Remote learning has not worked for all of our kids. Some of our kids don't even, they are like, why do, why do I have to be in front of a computer? There are parents who have, like I know for early intervention, there are some families who the Department of Education here in New York City provided iPads for students to, to be able to do their remote learning. For early intervention here, here in New York State, it falls under the Department of Health. So they did not provide devices. So if a parent doesn't have access to technology at home, you're on your own. So you have parents trying to do remote learning through their phones. Like some families are really struggling trying to be able to, and it's just not working for some. So some parents, once schools open back up, did opt to send their kids back to school. So it was, so I don't judge any parent who sends their kids, their kids back to school. I realize it, learning looks different for each child and every family's needs are different. Some families don't have a choice. They have to work. Like that's another reason. They have no one to watch their kids. So they have to send their kids back. And it's a risk every time because with young children, it's very hard to tell a three-year-old or a four-year-old to stay six feet apart from you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that can be really hard, but remote learning has been a journey. One concern I do have is the kids aren't getting to socialize with other kids. And I know for young children, a big part of learning is socializing and those interactions with their peers. And that's something they have not been able to do for over a year. So I am very concerned about that, even though from the academic standpoint and the therapy standpoint, they have really made a lot of progress over the last couple of months.
So I think you're absolutely right when you talk about remote learning not working for some parents. And like, I'm a homeschooler and I know that for my kids, I have twins. One of them is doing much better and she's actually the quiet one who she just works better. She's self-motivated. Her sister, on the other hand, thrives on people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And because she's not in a room with people, she's been it's been hard to get her to connect with the screen and to do her work she'll you know she's just distracted by her room we tried moving her to just a central location in the house and it's been a struggle and so it really kind of depends maybe on the personality type Mm -hmm. Um, but it definitely, you know, I had been homeschooling them always. So I thought it would have been an easy transition. They used to go to co-op and so, um, everything closed and remote learning has definitely been a challenge for her. Mm -hmm. And she's not, she's a very intelligent child, um, but she doesn't like remote learning classes. And she used to take classes, um, from, like a, a center online and they were kind of like a college style and she didn't like that. Um, so I wasn't too surprised because I knew that that didn't work well for her because right. some people just need other people. Like yeah. they're, she's an extrovert. And mm-hmm. so it's been, you know, not having people and I, I, her mom and dad and sister are all introverts. Right. <laughs> So it's been, it's been a huge challenge. So I can definitely relate to that and seeing my other daughter. um, She's like your daughter in that she's just been blossoming Mm -hmm. online. And and what I love for, for my daughter, I've been seeing, she's been writing poetry. And so her favorite class is creative writing. And she's like, Oh, I don't want to miss creative writing. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, so it's, you know, you, you have some highs and you yes. have some lows. It's, mm-hmm. it's both. So, yeah. um, I wanted to, um, you, you mentioned something about that social distancing and trying to get your kids to, you know, have that, that social, um, activity with other children. Are you able to do it in any way? We haven't. So the thing with us is we, most of our family, they live in the DC metro area. So we are here in New York and we have all our family, they are in Maryland and they're in Virginia. Um, And so we don't have much family here in the city and we have just not been able to connect. And it's also a risk tolerance thing as well, because yes, I have friends who are, I have people local that I could connect with, but it's also a risk tolerance. Like, I don't know how careful they're being. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm comfortable enough to risk it. I think if I had family close by, I would be able to have a better idea of what they're doing to be able to say, okay, I know that you're staying home and you're being very careful. So I'm just going to have you in my bubble. So pretty much we haven't, we haven't socialized with anybody since March. I mean, in person, I would say. Um, the last time I was around any family, it was at my father-in-law's funeral um, last October. And that was just being in that environment. It was, I was, I was very anxious. <laughs> my sister-in-law was there. Um, you know, I was able to see her, but it was, you know, <laughs> I, I was very anxious. So no, but I am glad that my sibling, like m- my kids have each other because my son was the only child for so long. Um, so I'm glad that they're able to socialize with each other. 
Yeah, I definitely can relate to that because I have a child I mentioned with a chronic illness. And so we haven't really socialized with other people either. We do, I do have a niece, but she lives in Philadelphia. And um, we have, I think that was back in September. It was a long time ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever month it was, it was a long time ago that um, we got together so that um, my kids could be with her kids. And it was a school week. So they were yeah. still logging into their classes, Computer, but yeah. we were able to spend some time together. And so yeah. it's like we're coming back up where it's like we need to find a way to see each other. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that we as parents, we do want to protect our kids and mm-hmm. we're just facing so many unknowns right mm-hmm. now that it's, it's so, it's just become like scary. Mm-hmm. And so we've definitely done the, you know, FaceTime or yes. um, mm-hmm. Zoom and things mm-hmm. like that. And so that's really what we've relied on. So yeah. I can definitely relate to what you're saying and, yeah. um, you know, it is what it is. You know, we definitely yeah. are trying to be safe and um, take the precautions necessary. Yeah. So what do you think educators sometimes overlook when it comes to kids with special needs? You know, most educators have our children's best interests at heart, right? They want what's best for our children, unless I don't, I, I think they could have gone into another field, right? So they must have some love or some interest for children. One thing I think some, and I'm not going to generalize all of them, but I think some of them, what I would like them to do is just presume competence, like presume that my child can do it. Let's start from there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then try to work and then be able to identify where the challenges are and see how goals can be developed, see how you can work with my child to be able to help him to be able to reach those goals. Um, And so I would like to see that more from educators, just having those expectations of our child. Because sometimes you might hear an educator say, I don't think that child is ever going to do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, you're not a psychic. You don't know. (laughs) I mean, you know, I, you know, I've, we've, I must say, we've been blessed with the teachers that we've had over the years. You know, they've been really encouraging to us and, and all the therapists that the kids have had, I think one thing educators can do is try to really build that homeschool connection, really build those relationships with families and realize that it's a collaboration. So it shouldn't be that you're developing goals for my child and I have no input on those goals. It should be a conversation between me and a therapist or me and his his classroom teacher to see what my concerns are and what I would like him to be able to work on for the next year so we can develop those goals together. So I think trying to build relationships, being able to collaborate with parents, being able to listen to parents' concerns and get the parents' input I, I really think that can go a long way. Yes. Earlier you said um, that we have to partner with our yes. providers. Yes. And I think that really was um, the perfect word. And you just use collaboration. Like it's mm-hmm. a communal effort mm-hmm. for all parties, not yes. just the healthcare workers mm-hmm. and the parents, the parents separately, <laughs> but you, ha- you have to do it together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at the core of it, just realizing that as a parent, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. 
It's about what, what's appropriate for my child and what my child needs. And I think once we focus on that, everything else can flow from that. Yes, yes. I think, you know, one of the things that really stands out in my mind, just from knowing different people throughout my life who have had autistic diagnosis, some of them, you know, the spectrum really varies. Right. Mm -hmm. um, just widely. Yeah. But I would say that in every moment, there's always a bright spot mm -hmm. or something, you know, just this, this moment that it makes you look and, and it brings back really fond memories of, mm -hmm. of differences, of celebrating differences. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, any story that comes to mind that, you know, really causes you to celebrate those differences? I would say, you know, for my son, for example, so when I talk about presuming competence and coming from a place that he could do it, I remember when he was in kindergarten, and I didn't realize that he could read. So I was always reading to him. Like I just assume, oh, you know, he's in kindergarten. He's, he has therapies. He's learning. He's on the spectrum. I have to read to him is one of the things I have to do. And so I just decided to just give him the books to, so I could see what he could do. And he started reading to me. He started reading from it. And I didn't realize that I was actually holding him back. <laughs> by continuing to do for him. So to me, I would never forget that. I always consider that to be a bright spot. Another bright spot for me, there's a misconception that people on the spectrum do not feel empathy. Now I know when it comes to reading social cues and being expressive, it can vary by the person. Some people on the spectrum may not be able to read certain social cues. But my son has become very affectionate. Like he will come and give a hug. He will, you know, those things really mean a lot to me. I consider that a bright spot that he comes to me and he gives me a hug or he wants to see me smiling. And those things really mean a lot. And I think it's really important for us as parents and educators to be able to identify what our children's strengths are and see how we can build on those strengths to be able to help them. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that you just brought up that when he gives you a hug, that's a bright spot because, you know, all children, when they show love to their parent, that is, that is, un you know, it's unusual sometimes, but mm -hmm. it's, it's such a blessing. It is. And I think that as parents, it's sometimes like we do so much. Parenting is such a giving job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when they hug us or when they show affection and let us know that they love us, mm -hmm. that's where they're giving back to us. And yep. so I absolutely agree <laughs> that it's a bright spot yeah. because as they get older, I think sometimes they're less inclined some sometimes some kids because yeah. I definitely I have one daughter who will hug me she's like mom you look tired <laughs> <laughs> and she'll give me a hug whereas you know her sister will be like you just need to stop like she's not gonna give me a hug she just right call it out right, right so right. I think you know um when when they show that when they return that affection and return that love i think it's it's just it's a loving time so mm -hmm. i'm glad that you shared that moment because it can be something that we take for granted but yeah. it's something that is just as important as anything else yeah so thanks for yeah. sharing that you're welcome what inspires you as a mom to keep going what inspires me is i just cannot give up on my children you know, um, 
I know that society tends to have low expectations of children who have disabilities. Um, they don't expect much from them. So I know that I have to continue to be able to advocate for my children, be able to get them the supports and services that they need and to be able to amplify their voice. So I know some people will say, I wanna, I wanna be my, my child's voice. Um, but I always prefer to say I'm amplifying their voice because I feel like they also have something to say and it's my job as a parent to make sure that people hear what they're saying. So my son has very limited communication. He's not able to have a conversation with you. If you ask him how was school today, he would say school today. So it's trying to find those ways to be able to communicate with him and hear what he's saying and to be able to amplify that. Um, I just, re you know, as a parent of a child on the spectrum, I just can never give up on, on him. You know, I, I have to be there for him forever. I mean, I know one fear that a lot of us parents have is who's going to take care of my child when I'm, on, I'm no longer here. And it depends on the level of support that the child needs. So that's a really real fear um, that a lot of parents have. And so I, you know, I just have to be on it <laughs> as much as I can. One thing that I do struggle with is being able to let go and give him the room to make those, to make a mistake and not have to fix everything and just be on top of him. So that's something that I'm struggling with because I'm not doing him any favors by always doing everything for him. I'm not helping him to be able to develop that independence. So that's something that I need to work on. Yes, yes. I think that is all of our fears as parents, you know, that um, we, we don't want to over, be overbearing Right. But we want to protect our kids. We want what's mm -hmm. best for them, but we also sometimes have to allow them to learn. And right. that can be tricky, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to our children who have special needs, mm -hmm. because it's like, where do you draw the line? Where does mm -hmm. that line exist? Right. Mm -hmm. Because you're a caregiver on one hand, but then you're a parent on the other. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're always advocating, but you know, it, it can be something that you're learning as you go. Yes, and I yeah. find that for me as a parent, I know that it can be, it can be tricky because your heart tells you to do it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but mm -hmm. your mind is saying, I can't always do everything. So I love that you just brought that up because I know it's something that I struggle with. And, you know, when we're in the advocacy space and we're advocating for our child, sometimes it seems like we're trying to do so much, mm -hmm. but, you know, other people don't necessarily have, we want people to hear us, but the truth is we really just want our children to be heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one thing too, that keeps me going, I think it's really important for Black voices to be heard in this space, in the autism space, because it's pretty like, so when you watch media or you go to a conference, it's usually predominantly white, you know, and autism, it, 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 you know, there are people on the spectrum of all races, all backgrounds. And I think it's important for all, all of their voices to be heard. And so that's another thing that keeps me going as well. That's, you are absolutely right. Because when you see the blue heart, you don't mm -hmm. always see us talking about it. And we, it affects our community too. And I think, you know, I love that you are willing to share your story and you're willing to give a voice to, to parents who are like, you know, hiding behind 
their realities. Some, mm-hmm. some people do. And I mm-hmm. think that you, you let people know that it's okay mm-hmm. to speak up, to amplify yeah. your child's voice and to, to advocate. And so I appreciate what you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is there anything else that you want to share with the community? Maybe, you know, some resources that may exist. I know you shared the parentcenter.hub. I mean, parentcenterhub.org. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but is I there mean, anything else? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of resources out there. I think the Parent Center resource is one that, you know, it's kind of like a gateway to be able to get a lot of resources depending on the state that you live in. Um, I know the National Autism Association is another good um resource for families, being able to connect with support groups in your community. Those are all ways that parents can be able to just get more information. I know there are a lot of groups um, on Facebook that that parents can connect with. Um, Just, you know, because in the beginning, I was talking about the importance of support and being able to lean on other parents, you know, so those are all some really good ones. You know, I really stress the Parent Center Hub because I feel like you know, if a parent is looking for any kind of classes, if they're looking for childcare, if they're looking for waiver services, if they want help to be able to navigate the school system or early intervention, that's a good place that they can go to and they will be able to get some local resources in their community. So, oh, one more resource that I, I you know, I don't want to forget. It's called AWARE. I think it's A-W-A-A-R-E.org. And so wandering is a very big problem in the autism community. Yes. where someone may run away or it's called goal-directed goal elopement. And so a lot of parents are in fear that something could happen to their child. And we've also, we actually lost a lot of individuals on the spectrum who may have wandered off and maybe they drowned or they got hit by a car or something like that. So aware.org is a place where parents can get resources on wandering, how to interact with law enforcement, how to protect your home, how to teach your child the how to be safe in the community. So that's another good resource that I think a lot of parents can benefit from. Oh, that's an excellent one. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I think for for many of us, sometimes the news is the only time that we hear about if you know if we don't know someone personally mm-hmm. it's the news and they're saying you know this missing person or something along those lines so yeah. i'm i'm just happy that you shared that so that families will know that that resource is resource exists please everybody i will put those resources in the show notes so go to the show notes page and you'll be able to click on the links for this episode and you'll be able to learn more so i thank you so much for your time it is definitely just an honor to be able to talk to you from you know one mom to another i appreciate you (laughs) and i appreciate your time so thank you so much for chatting with us let everybody know where they can connect with you and follow you. Yes. So thank you so much for having me. You can connect with me at sailingautisticseas.com. I am Autistic Seas on Twitter, Sailing Autistic Seas on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much for having me. Did you know that we sell merchandise to keep our podcast going? Order a hoodie, t-shirt, mugs, and more today. Visit cleverlychanging.com and click on the shop tab to place your order.